We are here tonight in your house, Lord, to listen to your word. We're here to worship you tonight, Lord. We're here to interact with you, to engage with you, to connect with you, Lord. Uh, That's why we're here tonight. And so, Lord, we pray that this evening you would meet us in this place. We thank you, Lord, for this beautiful time of worship. We thank you, Father God, for providing this wonderful facility for us, this great building where we could come and we could gather together. And Lord, all of the technologies that you have provided, Father, so much that we just forget about, Lord, that is is given to us by you here at this church so that we can gather together as your people, so that we could broadcast your word out to the nations, Lord, so that we could celebrate our common salvation through your son, Jesus Christ. That's why we're here tonight, Father. We ask your blessing upon this place, upon your people here. We pray your anointing of your Holy Spirit, Father God, and you would continue to touch and heal those who are sick, and you would continue to protect us, Lord, from any dangers, sicknesses, diseases, any problems, Father. We thank you for your hedge of protection around us. Bless our time tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Good evening. You may be seated. Okay, we're in Isaiah chapter 25 tonight, if you'd like to open up there. How does this headset sound, guys? How does it sound in the back? It's a new headset. Sounds good. All right, good. Thank you, Eric. From the black void back there where I can't see anything because the spotlight's on my eyes. I think that's Eric. <laughs> good. It's, it's, uh, it's comfortable, so I like it. All right, we are in Isaiah chapter 25. And I encourage you to listen to the message from last Sunday uh, if you were not here on Sunday because it kind of ties into this message tonight and on uh, this upcoming Sunday. Next Sunday, we'll tie into the same theme in Isaiah chapter 26. Um, but we're going to go through each of the verses here. There's, it's a short chapter here in 25, 12 verses. So we're just going to go through Isaiah 25 verse by verse here tonight. I've entitled this message, Waiting Upon the Lord. Waiting Upon the Lord. So often in life, we have to wait upon the Lord. Verse 1 of Isaiah 25 says this. O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name, for you have done wonderful things. Your counsels of old are faithfulness and truth. Now, if you were here last week, you remember that we were looking at the tribulation period and the earth being violently shaken and God judging the sinful condition of man before he would come back and he would set up his kingdom and he would judge sin and judge Satan and he would cast Uh, the enemy out and he would set up his rule and his reign upon the earth 
And so at the very end of chapter 24, we actually see that the prophecy kind of pivoted from this time of great judgment of God upon the nation to this time of great blessing upon the world. We read in verse 23, then the moon will be disgraced. This is from 20, chapter 24, verse 23. Then the moon will be disgraced, the sun ashamed, for the Lord of hosts will reign on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem and before his elders gloriously. And as we mentioned before, there were no chapter breaks in the original scrolls. The Bible translators put in the chapter breaks where they thought it would be the best place to stop and start over, but there were no chapter and verse breaks in the original scrolls. And so really you could kind of see how the last verse of 24 ties into the first verse of 25. Actually, it's the last half of the last verse of chapter 24 ties in better with chapter 25. The first part of the verse uh, deals with the moon being disgraced, the sun being ashamed, basically the judgment of God. The first part of verse 23, then the last part is about the Lord reigning. The Lord of hosts will reign. Jesus coming back on Mount Zion in Jerusalem before his elders gloriously. And then chapter 25, verse 1, this praise that comes up from the prophet, O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name. For you have done wonderful things. Your counsels of old are faithfulness and truth. And so we always have to remember that the reason that we have problems on this earth and in this world is because this world is in rebellion against God. And the more that we rebel against God, the more problems we're going to have as a planet and as a species and as the human race. Uh, and this is what we see happening to the nations that serve and follow God. There aren't maybe many nations left in the world nationally that serve and follow God, but historically, the nations that were Christian nations, the nations that served and followed God, that went to church, they were church-going people, church-attending people uh, in their nation. They were people that feared God. They were people that loved their neighbor. They were people that tried to follow the golden rule, to do good to others, to turn the other cheek and go the extra mile. Uh, you see that God blesses those nations, even when it was our nation that was like this. God blessed the socks off of America when we were overwhelmingly a Christian people. There's that great quote from that French philosopher who came over from France in the early 1800s, and he was trying to find out why and how the nascent United States of America that had only been in existence since 1776, within like 40 or 50 years, we were a world power already within just 50 years of our founding. And the French wanted to know what we did here because their revolution totally flopped out and really destroyed their country and brought Napoleon into power, where our revolution, the United States uh, War of, uh, of Independence, brought freedom and uh, brought this great prosperity. And this... Uh, this philosopher said America is good. His summation after traveling around America, when he went back to France, he said America is great because America is good. When America ceases to be good, America will cease to be great. And it's exactly true. America, whenever we've turned to God, God has blessed the socks off of this country, just like he did with Judah in ancient times, just like he did with Israel. When a nation makes God their God and begins to seek to please the Lord, you can't help but bring blessings upon that people. But when you reject God's word, when you reject his laws, 
When you reject his commandments and you don't want to do things his way, you can't expect things to go well for you. That's illogical. If you were in rebellion against God and you were at war with God and you have no peace with God, how do you think everything is going to go for you in this life when you're striving with your maker, your creator, you see? It's wisdom that would say, I want to know God. I want to know what he thinks and what he says in his word and what he believes. And then I want to align my life with God's word and with his will. And as I align my life with the will of God, then I begin to see the blessings of God in my life. And if I reject God's word and I reject his will, I should expect nothing but trouble. Uh, And that is exactly what we see on this earth is we see the problem with mankind is that we are in rebellion against our creator. We're in rebellion against our maker. There's a few of us perhaps that are not that we're seeking to do God's will, but not many. Fewer and fewer really actually uh, in our country are seeking to make God's will to be done in their life rather than my will be done uh, in, in my life. You know, the, the Ten Commandments are so simple, and I don't know if you've ever taken time to look at the Ten Commandments of God, given really to mankind, for society, for all civil society, all civilized societies throughout history have eventually found their way to the Ten Commandments, to build a nation upon and a government upon the laws of God from our Creator uh, given to Moses on Mount Sinai. No other gods before me. Don't worship any graven images. Don't speak the name of the Lord thy God in vain or blaspheme God's name. Set one day a week, every seven days, set a day per week aside so that you could worship God one day a week. Honor your father and your mother. Don't murder people. Uh, Don't commit adultery or take someone else's wife. Don't steal what somebody else has. Don't lie to people and don't covet what other people uh, have. It's very simple, really, the Ten Commandments. It's not rocket science. But you see that when we begin to cast off God, we cast off His commandments, we throw away His rules and say, I don't want any rules. I don't want anyone, even God, telling me how to live. Well, then we have what we see today. It's a total mess. Everybody is doing what's right in His own eyes. Everybody is striving to take what He can uh, because life is short and whoever dies with the most toys wins is the motto of our culture. And that is a very, um, that's a very sad place to be. And it's a very dangerous place to be in a world where everyone is doing what's right in his own eyes. If you think about that, it should terrify you because there's a lot of wicked people. And if they do what they want to do in their eyes, think of Ted Bundy and, you know, Charles Manson and uh, the Night Stalker, Richard Ramirez, and all these psychopaths Uh, If they did what was right, if everybody is doing what's right in their own eyes, it's a very dangerous world. We would be much better off to once again surrender ourselves to God and to allow his will to be done, that we would seek to obey his commandments and follow his ways. Uh, Love God and love your neighbor, Jesus says. If you do this, you have kept the law, the prophets, and the commandments. This is the time that we're reading about here in chapter 25 and and chapter 26 where God's will is finally being done on earth as his will is being done in heaven. This is the prayer of the church. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus taught us to pray this. This is that time when that prayer will be answered, when Jesus will be here. He will be ruling and reigning on the earth. Everything will be made right. Everything will be corrected. 
Justice will be done on the earth, and there will be righteousness and peace that will flow like a river when God is ruling and reigning over our planet. Again, we read in verse 1 of chapter 25, as Isaiah is seeing the future, he's seeing this time where the Messiah is here, ruling and reigning over the earth from Jerusalem. He says, O Lord, you are my God, I will exalt you. I will praise your name For you have done wonderful things. Your counsels of old are faithfulness and truth. And Isaiah borrows some here from the song of Moses when uh, God delivered his children from Egypt and Moses sang the beautiful song of Moses. Uh, Isaiah is, is borrowing from this here and it's just this beautiful praise to the name of the Lord, acknowledging him, exalting him, honoring him for who he is. Uh, and for what he's done, for you have done wonderful things. Indeed, if you've been a Christian any amount of time, you know that God does wonderful things for his people. He does so much for us that we don't deserve. Uh, and, and so often we forget that. We forget all of the blessings that come from the Lord in our lives as his children. He says, your counsels of old are faithfulness and truth. Your counsels of old, in other words, your word, that which you have written, which you have counseled, Uh, it's true. It's faithful. You can count on the word of the Lord. You can count on his counsels. His word is true. It will always be true. His word will always come to pass. His prophecies will always come to pass because his counsels of old are faithful and true. When they were dedicating the temple, King Solomon said uh, of the temple, you promised this to our people. You promised this to Abraham, he said, and then you promised it uh, to Uh, Moses and then you promised it to David my father and here I am uh, dedicating this temple and not one word of God has failed Solomon said as God had made these promises and fulfilled them God will always keep his word he will always fulfill his promises not one word will ever fail and this is a, a beautiful time that's coming for the future Isaiah actually talks a lot about this time where Everything is made right, where uh, God is ruling and reigning, where even the Gentile nations come to know the Lord. We read, for example, Isaiah chapter 49 and verse 7. Isaiah says this about this time. Thus says the Lord, Isaiah 49, 7, the Redeemer of Israel, their Holy One, to him who man despises, to him whom the nation abhors, to the servant of rulers kings shall arise shall see and arise princes also shall worship because of the lord who is faithful the holy one of israel and he has chosen you thus says the lord in an acceptable time i have heard you and in the day of salvation i have helped you i will preserve you and give you as a covenant to the people to restore the earth to cause them to inherit the desolate heritages, that you may say to the prisoners, go forth. To those who are in darkness, show yourselves. They shall feed along the roads, and their pastures shall be on all desolate heights. They shall neither hunger nor thirst, neither heat nor sun shall strike them. For he who has mercy on them will lead them. Even by the springs of water, he will guide them. 
I will make each of my mountains a road, and my highways shall be elevated. Surely these shall come from afar. Look, those from the north and from the west, and these from the land of Sinam. Sing, O heavens, be joyful, O earth, and break out in singing, O mountains. For the Lord has comforted his people and will have mercy on the afflicted. But Zion, or Israel, said, The Lord has forsaken me, and my Lord has forgotten me. And here's the Lord's answer to Israel. Can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb? Surely they may forget, yet I will not forget you. See, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. Your sons shall make haste. Your destroyers and those who laid you waste shall go away from you. Lift up your eyes, look around and see. All these gather together and come to you as I live, says the Lord. You shall surely clothe yourselves with them all as an ornament and bind them on you as a bride does. The Lord is never going to forget his people. He's never going to forget the promises that he made to Israel or the promises that he's made to us. We are his children. We are his people. He has inscribed us in the palms of his hands. We read in Isaiah 56 and verse 6, he says this, Also the sons of the foreigner who join themselves to the Lord to serve him and to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants... Everyone who keeps from defiling the Sabbath and holds fast my covenant, even them I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel says, yet I will gather to him others besides those who are gathered to him. So this is speaking of not just Israel and the promises of God to the Jews, which God will fulfill all of his promises to the Jews to save them nationally when Jesus Christ returns. But this is to the Gentiles as well. These are to all the other ones, all the sons of the foreigner who join themselves to the Lord to serve him, the ones from the nations. God is going to bring us into his covenant. We are now his covenantal people, the Gentiles, as well as God's covenant with the Jews. And there will be a time when God fulfills all of his promises to all of his people, Jews and Gentiles alike, when he brings in his messianic kingdom. And then we read in Isaiah chapter 66 and verse 18. Isaiah has a lot to say about this time, this millennial reign of the Messiah. Isaiah 66, 18, for I know their works and their thoughts. It shall be that I will gather all nations and tongues and they shall come and see my glory. I will set a sign among them and those among them who escape, I will send to the nations to Tarshish and Pool and Lud who draw the bow and Tubal and Javan to the coastlands afar off who have not heard my fame nor seen my glory, and they shall declare my glory among the Gentiles. Then 
They shall bring all your brethren for an offering to the Lord out of all the nations on horses and in chariots and in litters, on mules and on camels to my holy mountain, Jerusalem, says the Lord. As the children of Israel bring an offering in a clean vessel into the house of the Lord, and I will also take some of them for priests and Levites, says the Lord. Verse 22, for as the new heavens and the new earth which I will make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your descendants and your name remain. And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another, all flesh shall come to worship before me, says the Lord. This is going to happen. Someday in the future, Jesus is going to return. He's going to set up his kingdom. And everyone who's here on the earth is going to worship Jesus Christ. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's going to happen. Everything that God has promised will come to pass. Not one word, not one promise of God will fail. This is all going to happen. And it's good news. We're not going to find good news in this world. This world is not going to be saved. This world is going to be destroyed. And we see that happening right before our eyes. There are fewer and fewer seeking to walk on the straight and narrow path that leads to life. And this is what was predicted in the last times. In the last days, it wasn't predicted that there would be this great worldwide revival. I would like to see that, but that's not what the Bible predicted in the last days. It's the opposite. The Bible predicted a great apostasy or a great falling away from the faith. Not great Bible teachers being raised up, but false Bible teachers being raised up. And people looking for the false teachers who are going to tickle their ears. They're not going to want to hear the Word of God, the pure Word of God that's going to challenge them and convict them. They're going to go after and chase after pastors who are going to tickle their ears and tell them what they want to hear. That's what is predicted for the last days. Not a great worldwide revival where the whole world is going to get saved and believe on Jesus and then Jesus Christ is going to return. Read the book of Revelation. That's not what's coming. What's coming is a world that's going to follow the Antichrist and reject Jesus Christ totally and completely, almost wholesale. They're going to follow the devil's man and reject God's only begotten son. And that's why Jesus Christ has to come back and judge this world once and for all. We continue back in Isaiah 25 and verse 2. For you have made a city a ruin... A fortified city, a ruin, a place of foreigners to be a city no more. It will never be rebuilt. Therefore, the strong people will glorify you. The city of the terrible nations will fear you. Verse 4, for you have been a strength to the poor, a strength to the needy in his distress, a refuge from the storm, a shade from the heat. For the blast of the terrible ones is as a storm against the wall. And so God is talking about being our redeemer, being our savior, being our strength in our time of need, being our refuge in the midst of the storm, being a wall to us to protect us from the fierce wrath of our enemies. This is what is coming. This is what Isaiah is saying is coming. The terrible nations, the wicked nations are going to be judged by God in this day. And they will no longer be able or allowed to hurt 
God's people or his children or to hurt the little children, the innocent ones, the widows, the poor, uh, and the orphans that God cares so much for. It's interesting that basically what Isaiah is saying here is that God will meet whatever need you have. I love verse 4. For you have been a strength to the poor. You have been a strength to the needy in his time of distress, a refuge from the storm, a shade to protect from the heat. For the blast of the terrible ones is as a storm against the wall. That in essence, he's saying, God, you are whatever our need is. Whatever our need is, you meet that need. And that is indeed true with God. That is what God said pretty much to Moses when God appeared to Moses in the burning bush. And Moses wanted to know what his name was. And he said, what is your name? If you don't tell me your name and I go to your people and tell them that, that you appeared to me and that they're supposed to follow me. Moses said, I don't speak well and I stutter. And, you know, you probably chose the wrong guy. And Moses was trying to find excuses and reasons not to go and to do what God was calling him to do. And, and he says, what is your name that I may tell your people when they ask me your name? And he says, tell them my name is I am. I am that I am. And that word I am or that phrase I am is where we get the Hebrew word Yahweh from or Jehovah. And again, we don't know how to really pronounce it because Moses did not record the vowels for us. He only recorded the consonants, the YHVH. So we don't know what the vowels are. So we don't really know how to uh, properly say the name of God. We come up with Yahweh or Jehovah. It's probably the best that we can get into English. But the meaning of the word uh, Yahweh or Jehovah, the YHVH, is the tetragrammaton or the great I am that God is saying, I will be to you whatever your need is, I will meet your need. I will be to you whatever you need from me as your God. And indeed, the Lord is that wonderful, wonderful friend uh, to each one of us in this way. He is the one, no matter what you're facing, no matter what trouble you find yourself in tonight, he will meet you right where you're at if you will turn to him and he will be sufficient to meet your every need. Whether it's with your health, whether it's with your marriage, whether it's with your finances, whether it's with your job, whatever it is, relationships or whatever, whatever your problem is, God is sufficient to meet you in your time of need. Matter of fact, that's where he works his greatest wonders in our lives is when we're desperate and we're hopeless, and we have no other chance or hope except for God. And that is what he delights in, is when we turn to him in our times of greatest need, because then he could really show us who he is, and how glorious he is, and how uh, magnificent and marvelous he is to his children. He is the becoming one, is literally what Yahweh means. The becoming one is what it means, literally. The YHVH, that he's becoming to you whatever your need might be. What a great and awesome God that we serve. He continues in verse 5. He says, You will reduce the noise of aliens as heat in a dry place, as heat in the shadow of a cloud. The song of the terrible ones will be diminished. You know, when you're living under a wicked ruler or you're living under a wicked government that's persecuting and prosecuting righteousness or godliness, uh, then you would feel this way when you see God come down and judge these nations that are oppressing God's people. You'll rejoice in the judgment of God. Uh, and that's what he's saying. You're going to reduce the noise of the aliens as heat in a dry place, as heat in the shadow. The song of the terrible ones will be diminished. In other words, God is going to come and fight for us. He's going to come and fight for his people. And he is going to 
defeat and destroy all of his enemies. He says in verse 6, in this, And in this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all people a feast of choice pieces, a feast of wines on the lees, of fat things full of marrow, of refined wines on the lees. So this, I believe, is speaking of the marriage supper of the Lamb. After Jesus Christ returns, one of the first things that's going to happen, likely here on the earth, some believe it's going to happen in heaven prior to Jesus coming to the earth, but I think that it's probably going to happen when Jesus comes back to the earth to set up his kingdom. The first thing that he's going to do is he's going to celebrate the marriage supper of the Lamb. And this is likely what Isaiah is seeing here after Jesus Christ returns, after he blasts his enemies and he sets up his kingdom. He says, in this mountain, speaking of Jerusalem, where Jesus Christ is going to return, Zechariah 12, Zechariah 14, tell us this, that the Messiah will come back to the Mount of Olives, to Mount Zion, and to rule and reign from Jerusalem over all the earth. From this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all his people a feast of choice pieces. It's going to be the best feast you could ever imagine. Uh, and you could drink wine here and you won't be able to get drunk because drunkenness is sin and there's no sin in, in the kingdom of heaven uh, or in Christ's kingdom. And so you're going to have a feast of wines and fat things full of marrow and well-refined wines on the leaves. You remember that Jesus said, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Speaking of the, the grape juice or the wine, Jesus was speaking of this day, the marriage supper of the lamb in revelation chapter 19 we read this about this time revelation chapter 19 verse 6 and i heard as it were the voice of a great multitude as the sound of many waters and as the sound of mighty thunderings saying hallelujah for the lord god omnipotent reigns let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride or his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true saints of God. And so at the end of the tribulation period, right as Jesus was getting ready to come back, riding on his white horse to judge the Antichrist, to have Michael the archangel bind Satan for a thousand years, cast the Antichrist and the false prophet, and all those who take the mark of the beast into the lake of fire, and Jesus is going to rule and reign, and he's going to make the earth beautiful and perfect again like it was. He's going to reverse the curse like prior to the fall of man in the Garden of Eden. It's going to be like the Garden of Eden all over again, and we are his bride the church we are the bride of christ it's a mystery we can't really understand it but somehow we're going to be one with jesus christ we will be his bride forever and ever collectively all of us together all of the saints for all of church history we make up the bride of christ and there is this beautiful marriage supper where the marriage of the lamb to his bride is consummated and the two become one 
forever. And it's a marvelous mystery, spiritually speaking, that we are going to be united to Jesus as his bride, and we are going to rule and reign with him forever and ever because we are his bride. Just like as a king had a, who has a queen, we are going to be like that queen, as it were, to the king, ruling and reigning with him. We will inherit everything that he gets to inherit, and his father has given all inheritance to him, all authority in heaven and earth, and all things have been granted to the son and also to us as his bride. Back in Isaiah 26, or 25 rather, he says this in verse 7. He says, and he will destroy on this mountain the surface of the covering cast over all the people and the veil that is spread over all the nations. Now, this is, this is very interesting here. He's speaking about this, this covering or this veil that is over all the nations. And what he's likely referring to here, what Isaiah is likely seeing, is God is going to remove this covering that is blinding the people to the reality of who Jesus is and who God really is. We read, for example, in 2 Corinthians in chapter 4, Paul the Apostle says this about this veil that's over the minds of the unbelievers. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 1, Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Verse 3, But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. And so Paul the Apostle is making this observation, really. He's saying there is a veil blinding the eyes of the unbelievers. It's the devil's work to really keep people from believing in God. The devil would rather, you have, would rather have you worship anything and anyone other than the true and the living God. He's blinded the minds. The God of this age, Satan, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. And this is why sometimes you feel like you can't get anywhere when you're arguing with people about the faith or you're trying to tell them about Jesus or you're trying to give them scripture and they just want to fight with you and they want to argue with you. Or, you know, you'll pray for them and then the prayer will be answered and you'll say, see, we prayed together. I prayed for you. My church prayed for you. And look, you got your answer. Your cancer was healed or your child recovered from this car accident or uh, whatever, you know, you, you were praying about. Your marriage was healed. You were having problems with your spouse. We prayed. And now God brought your spouse back and they, and they don't give God the credit. And you're like, don't you see it? Don't you see that it's God who's answering these prayers? They're like, nope, I think it just happened. I think the doctors just were wrong in their diagnosis or prognosis or the medicine worked and it wasn't really God it was the medicine the doctors gave me and they find all kinds of reasons to not give God the credit for what he's doing and you're like you've got to be blind yeah they are blind 
the unbelievers are blinded to the reality of Jesus Christ by Satan, who is the God of this world. Satan is the God of this world because most people don't want anything to do with God. They want to do what the God of this world says to do, which is do whatever you want shall be the whole of the law. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 6, or 2 rather, in verse 6 we read this. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 6, Paul the Apostle says this. However, we speak wisdom among, among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for, they had, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory." But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. So stop right there. Paul is saying that we have the spirit of God because we're born again. Therefore, we understand the things of God. We understand the word of God. Why? Because we're born again by the spirit of God. We have the spirit of God dwelling within us. And that makes us different than the unbeliever who's not born again because they don't have the spirit of God dwelling within them. He says in verse 11, for what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of this world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual but the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. So Paul is saying unbelievers, they are blind to the things of God. They can't ascertain things of the Spirit. They're incapable because they don't have the Spirit of God living within them. So that's why it drives us crazy when we're like, don't you see that God is working in your life and God is answering all these prayers for you and God is trying to really reveal himself to you? And they're like, nope, nope, I'm just going to continue to do yoga and do witchcraft and, you know, look at my astrological charts. Now that everything's going good for me, I'm going back to my astrology. And you're like, you know, what is going on? You're blinded to the truth. And, and that's exactly what Paul says is the case. The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit. They are foolishness to him, nor can he know them. The unsaved mind can't understand the things of God. They're not capable. And I was like that before I was saved. You were like that before you were saved. It's only when God opens our minds, when God opens our hearts, when we say yes to God and we start to seek him, then he opens up our minds to himself. He reveals himself to us, but not until we open that door to him. 
He doesn't force himself upon anybody. He stands at the door and knocks. If anyone opens the door and invites him in, he'll come in. But he doesn't kick the door in and barge himself into your life if you don't want him. So we, we, we learn from this that there is a veil upon the unbelievers. And really the best thing that you could do to pray for your unbelieving loved ones is to pray that God would remove the veil from their eyes, that they would begin to see who God really is because the God of this world has blinded them to the existence of who God really is and who Jesus Christ is. We go back to Isaiah 25 and verse 8. And he will swallow up death forever. This is speaking about Jesus. He will swallow up death forever and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. The rebuke of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken it. He's going to swallow up death forever. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul the Apostle actually quotes this verse. In 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 50, speaking of the resurrection from the dead and the rapture of the church, we read this in verse 50 of 1 Corinthians 15. Now this I say, brethren... That flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. None of us are going to get out of here alive. None of us. This body's going to die. There will be a generation that will be resurrected. While they stand, they will be resurrected. But that's really like a death and a resurrection all at the same time. They can't go to heaven in this body. This body cannot go to heaven. It's not capable of going to heaven. It's not fit for heaven. And so he's saying this body, flesh and blood, actually all things that are of this material world, this fallen world, this carnal world, he says they can't inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. He says, behold, I tell you a mystery, verse 51. We shall not all sleep or die, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised in incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Here he is quoting from the passage in Isaiah chapter 25. Paul is saying this is when this is going to be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, hell, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. We're not to be living for this world or even just this body. This body's going to perish. There will be a generation that won't die because they're going to be resurrected, but it's kind of like, again, it's kind of like they, they died and they were resurrected all at one time. And those who had died and gone before them are going to be resurrected first. The dead uh, in Christ shall rise first, First Thessalonians 4, verses 13 to 18 tell us. So this is speaking of the rapture, the resurrection from the dead. 
So our spirits go to be with the Lord when we die. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 tells us this. Uh, but we're not going to be disembodied spirits, that we're going to be there as spirits without a body forever. There's going to be a body that we're going to get when the resurrection of the dead takes place. And all those who have died in Christ are going to be resurrected. And then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together to meet them uh, with with them with the Lord in the air and there we shall ever be with the Lord speaking of the rapture of the church but this is this is really the final victory and the final conquering of the enemy of death where Jesus comes back he takes his bride to heaven he gives us resurrected bodies just like he has it's a body that's made for heaven it's a body that's eternal it's a body that will be immortal there will be no more sin no more sickness no more disease no more death no more tears no more pain no more sorrow forever and ever because Jesus conquered death he conquered death when he was raised from the dead on the third day So we don't have to fear the sting of death. We're told the sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But because Jesus died for our sins on the cross of Calvary, he paid the price, we then don't have to fear dying. We don't have to fear death because Jesus took our sin. He took the sting and the pain of our sin upon himself and he died and he was punished on the cross of Calvary for the sins of the world. And so we don't fear death. Death has no victory over us. That's why really when Jesus says that if we believe in him, he says you'll never die. Uh, In John chapter 11, as Jesus was speaking here to uh, Mary and Martha, when their brother Lazarus has died, Jesus said this to Martha in John 11, 25. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? He asked. So the question that Jesus was asking is, do you believe that I have conquered death? Do you believe that I can conquer death? And then he went on to prove that he could conquer death because he raised a man that had been dead for four days. He raised him from the dead. Then Jesus was raised from the dead after three days of being buried in the tomb. And so he is the resurrection and the life. And if we are in him, we are connected to him. And therefore, we will not die, but we will live. When he's talking about not dying here, he's not talking about this body. This body's going to go back to the dust. But he's talking about the essence of who you are, your spirit, the soul that lives within your body, the essence of who you are, your mind, your, your heart, your emotions, your soul, that your soul will never die You will never be consciously separated from God. Even at the point of death when you die, it's not really dying. It's just like falling asleep. I'm not afraid of death. I don't fear death. I don't even worry about dying. Matter of fact, I don't think I can die until it's God's time. Sometimes I wish I was out of here and I was in heaven instead of in this rotten world as we see the world falling apart and we see how bad things are getting. But look, God still has a job for all of us here. That's why we're all alive in this generation. I can't die. You can't die if you're in the will of God until it's God's time, until your job is done here. And so uh, I don't fear death because Jesus conquered death. I'm in him and he's in me. And Jesus told us not to worry about death. He says, whoever lives and believes in me, that would be you and me. If we're Christians here tonight, we're alive and we're believing in him. He says, you're never going to die. You're never going to be consciously separated from the presence of God. Even from the moment you take your last breath here, Jesus will be there with his angels to usher you in, probably maybe even some of your loved ones who've gone before you, to meet you at that time and to usher you into his eternal glory. 
O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? We go back to Isaiah 25 and verse 8 again. He says, the Lord will wipe away their tears from all the faces. He swallowed up death forever. He's going to wipe away the tears from all faces. The rebuke of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. God is no longer going to be mad at mankind. He's no longer going to be at war with mankind. Because man is finally going to be surrendered to God at this time. And so there's no more fight. There's no more war. There's peace on earth. Goodwill toward men. Because we're going to have peace with our maker. Right now we don't have peace with our maker. We're at war with our maker. So we have all kinds of problems here on this earth. But there will be a time when God will set up his kingdom. He will save us. And he will establish his kingdom forever and ever. And he says that he will wipe away the tears from all faces. It's interesting that this is again uh, mentioned in the book of Revelation. In Revelation 21, actually, I'll read this to you. Verses 1 to 5. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no more sea. Revelation 21.1, then two, then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people and God himself will be with them and he will be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. And there shall be no more pain. For the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. This day is coming. God showed Isaiah the prophet this day where the kingdom of the Messiah is reigning over the earth and everything is made right. And it says that God is going to wipe away all the tears from their eyes and there's going to be no more death, no more crying, no more sorrow, no more pain. All of that is going to become, I believe, like a bad memory. You know, the longer you live, uh, it just seems like you forget the bad things that happened in your past. You know, it's kind of like at some point you're all mad about, you know, having a dysfunctional childhood and you're like, I'm a victim and I'm so mad because I had such a rotten upbringing or whatever. But eventually you grow up and you realize, you know what? It wasn't that bad. My childhood wasn't that bad. It was tough, but there was worse childhoods that other people have had and I came out okay, you know, and, and you start to remember the fond memories, don't you? You remember things more fondly as you get older and you don't really have the time to dwell on all the bad stuff and all the things that were done against you and the things, because the reality is, is you did things against other people. People hurt you, you hurt others. You know, we're all sinners. There's no one perfect. We don't have perfect parents or, you know, and you're not a perfect parent and I'm not a perfect parent. We're, we're just people. We're human beings. And so, uh, at this time, 
I believe that all of our pain and all of our memories of what we've suffered, so many people are so hung up on their trauma, you know, that they suffered. They spend their whole lives dealing with their trauma that they suffered 50 years ago uh, or whatever in counseling, and maybe, maybe that's needed. But uh, the bottom line is, is that I think that we're, gonna, we're only going to remember the good times when we get to heaven. It's going like, to be like, you know, a bad nightmare or a bad dream. The more time that passes, the more you forget those bad dreams that you once had that maybe tormented you or uh, tormented your mind, this nightmare that was recurring or something. You know, it's, at some point you just forget about all of that and you just move on uh, with your life. And I think that that's how it's going to be on this day. It's going to be, everything is going to be forgotten that caused us pain in this world. And we're just not going to remember the pain anymore. Uh, it's still there. It'll still be there if we want to think about it, but it's not going to cause uh, sorrow. It's not going to cause crying anymore. We're not going to be uh, hurt anymore ever again because we're going to be with Jesus forever and ever in that day. And God is going to make everything right in that day. All, you know, injuries and insults will be made right on that day. Because really, the only true victim in this world is Jesus. He's the only innocent one. You know, you could say children are victims sometimes of wicked adults, and that might be true. Uh, but the reality is, is any of us that live into adulthood, you know, we're not, we're not pure victims like Jesus was. Jesus was the only perfect, sinless man who never did any wrong. He didn't deserve anything bad that happened to him, and all kinds of terrible things happened to him, as you well know. He's the only actual true victim. The rest of us, uh, we're just human beings fallen and broken people uh, among a fallen and broken world. We read back in Isaiah 25 and verse 9. He says, and it will be said in that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him and he will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. We will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. You know, we're, we're waiting for our bridegroom. And, and Isaiah is saying in that day, uh, he's not waiting anymore. The bridegroom has come. And the bride has made herself ready. And the marriage supper of the Lamb has been served. And everything is right. And everything that's being done is right on the earth at this time. We've waited for him. He's our Savior. He came to us is what he's saying. He will save us. This is the Lord We've waited for him. We will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. God will always fulfill his promises in his word. As a matter of fact, Jesus promised us so many times that he's coming again for us. It's not a little thing that Jesus promised that he's coming back again. Because if he doesn't come back again, then he isn't telling the truth. And that would make Jesus a liar. And God cannot lie. So we know that Jesus cannot lie. He's God, and God cannot lie. Everything God says and does is true and right. So when Jesus says he's coming again, we have to believe he's actually coming again. Otherwise, you'd be calling Jesus a liar. Jesus says in John 14 and verse 1, he says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions or dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you so. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way, you know. And then he went on to say, I am the way. 
the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. So you, if you're in Jesus and you're following his way and you're on that straight and narrow path, Jesus is saying, I'm preparing a place for you right now, but I'm going to come again and I'm going to take you home to be with me forever. Whether you go to be with Jesus because you die and you have a heart attack or get in a car accident or die of cancer or COVID or whatever you die of, and again, I don't think you can die before your time, then that means it was your time. Uh, or if you don't die, and if you're part of that generation that lives until the second coming of Christ at the rapture, as we read about in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 15, verses 50 to 52, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. The dead shall be raised imperishable, and we should put on this immortality. Uh, either way, we're going to go to be with Jesus, and he's going to come to take us to his house where we will be with him forever and ever. It's hard for us to wait. We have a hard time waiting for anything. But, you know, patience uh, is one of the great virtues of the Christian faith, actually. Uh, patience is part of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Patience, self-control, fruit of the Holy Spirit. It means that you don't get what you want right now. That's not true. It's a lie to say, I can have whatever I want right now, whenever I want it. Just do what you want and don't let anybody tell you you can't have it. I mean, that's, that's a lie from the pit of hell to think you could have everything you want whenever you want it because you'll never be satisfied with what you want. You'll always want something new or more or different because it's human nature. But if we're waiting for, for God to fulfill his promises, he will always keep his word. And his will for us is beautiful. And he's worth waiting for. He's worth waiting for. I mean, don't go after the other gods of this world money and sex and pleasure and power and all the things that other people worship, recreation and education and all the things that are worshiped by man. These things will all fail you. You'll be miserable even after you achieve all of your goals. Uh, but God will never let you down. We read in Proverbs thirteen twelve, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when the desire comes, it is a tree of life. And indeed, Hope deferred makes the heart sick. We're, we're, we're sick of waiting and watching this world fall apart. And we're wondering, when are you coming back, Jesus? But you know what? It's, it's coming. He's coming. The reason he hasn't come back yet, Peter tells us in 2 Peter chapter 3, is because God is not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. That's why God hasn't come back yet. It's not that he's slack concerning his promise or that he's forgotten about his church. It's he wants more people to get saved. He wants more people to come to Christ. And once he comes, that door is closed. It's like the Ark of the Covenant door being shut. If you weren't in the Ark before the door was shut, you were going to die in that flood. It, you had to be inside that Ark before the door was shut. When Jesus comes back for his church, the door will be shut into the Ark of Salvation through Jesus Christ. And the people left here at this time, they can be saved, but it's going to cost them their head to be saved during the tribulation period. And, uh, but when Jesus tells us he's going to come back, for his church, and he promises us this, we know that he cannot lie and that it is true and he is going to come back for us. And we just have to wait on him. We have to trust him. And then we will say like Isaiah is saying here, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him. He will save us. This is the Lord, Je Jehovah, Yahweh, he says. We have waited for him and we will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. We read in Isaiah 26, this is uh, what we're going to be looking at on Sunday. Isaiah 26, verse 2. Open the gates that the righteous nation which keeps the truth may enter in. 
you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for in Yah, the Lord, is everlasting strength. And so until the Lord comes back, and it may be another 100 years or 500 years, but it may not be that long. It may be sooner than that. We just have to keep trusting the Lord. We have to keep waiting on the Lord. We have to keep our minds fixed on Jesus and not looking around at all of the drama and all the problems of this world. Instead of looking at the problems of this world, we have to fix our eyes on the promises of God and the promises in his word. We have so many precious promises he's given to us as his people. And then we wrap up here back in Isaiah 25 verse 10. For on this mountain, the hand of the Lord will rest, speaking again of Mount Zion, Jerusalem, and Moab shall be trampled down under him as straw is trampled down for the refuse heap. And he will spread out his hands in their midst as he who swims spreads out his hands to swim and he will bring down their pride together with the trickery of their hands. The fortress of the high fort of your walls he will bring down and lay low and bring to the ground down to the dust. So part of God coming to set up his kingdom, he's coming as a judge to judge this earth. That's why a lot of churches won't teach prophecy. You wonder, like, why won't church teach, why won't churches teach prophecy anymore? Why aren't pastors talking about prophecy? Because a lot of pastors and a lot of churches avoid prophecy because prophecy speaks of the wrath of God being poured out upon the world, the judgment of God being poured out upon the earth. Read the book of Revelation. That's what's coming. People don't want to believe it's coming. They don't want to hear it. But it is coming. And God must judge sin and he must judge sinners. Or again, he's not the God that the Bible describes, a holy and righteous and sinless God who cannot tolerate sin. He's given us all time to repent He's given us all time to turn to him. Uh, But we don't know what tomorrow brings. So today, if you would hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Stop fighting with your maker. Stop striving with God. Surrender to him. And as you surrender to God, you'll have peace with God. And once you have peace with God, then you're going to find that you have the peace of God and the peace from God. And then you'll have peace with others. But you first have to have peace with God. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for these beautiful promises in your word, Lord, that you gave to your prophets, Lord, like Isaiah. So many thousands of years ago, you told Isaiah what was coming. Even things that haven't happened yet in our lifetime, but they're still future. Thank you, Lord, that you are coming again. Thank you, Lord, that you are going to save your people Thank you, Lord, that you are preparing a mansion in heaven for us now. Thank you, Lord, that you have all of the righteous dead who are with you in heaven, Lord, who have gone before us. Thank you, Lord, that you are coming again to fulfill your promises of your word, Lord, and to set up your everlasting kingdom upon this earth and then forever and ever. I pray, Father God, for each one that's here, Lord, that we would keep a short list of sins between us and you, Lord, that we would not go off into things and be living in ways that we know are wrong, Lord God. Help us to walk in obedience to you, Father. Thank you, Father, for your mercy. Thank you for your long-suffering with us, Lord. Thank you for your patience 
that you've shown us. And thank you for revealing yourself to us, Lord, that we're no longer blinded with the veil over our eyes from the God of this world. Lord, use us to reach many for Christ in these last days, we pray, and use our church, we ask. Bless us and protect us until we meet again. In Jesus' name, amen. We all want to thank you for listening. If this message has blessed you, as we all pray that it has, send the link to this podcast to your friends. Working together, we can get Michael's teaching of the whole of God's inerrant word to all those who hunger to hear it. If you would like to see this ministry expand to reach even more of the broken and lost, if you have questions, comments, and prayer requests, email us at coahpodcast at gmail.com. We would be honored to pray for you, as we hope you are praying for us. Good day and God bless from City on a Hill Church, Tehachapi, California.